0: Welcome to Academic Coaching Podcast. Today, we are talking about dyslexia and its impact on learning. We'll also be exploring strategies that can be used to support learning and what it's been like being dyslexic and an educator. And today I'm joined by Jay Livingstone. Uh, Welcome and thank you for taking part in today's podcast. It's really good for you. Good of you to give up your time. And I'm sure the listeners will be interested in what you have to say. So first of all, Jay, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background.
1: Well, thank you, Carl. It's uh, lovely to be here. Um, obviously, we we know each other, um, and it's really nice to to be asked on your podcast. So, uh, so yeah, that's quite cool. Um, so a little bit, bit about myself. Um, I am an educator. I've worked in education for the last 20, 25 years, and uh, only found out that I was dyslexic about... Mm, about 10 years ago, you know, having the diagnosis of of dyslexia. Um, And yeah, so I've I've worked all the way up to PhD level. I hold a, a master's degree in software systems engineering, and I've taught computing in colleges and universities for the last 10 years. Um, So I've left education um, or formal education, and now I'm a private researcher and educator in the private sector.
0: Thank you for that. Tell me a little bit about the uh, diagnosis that you you went through and what prompted you to take a diagnosis or go for a diagnosis.
1: Um, I yeah, that's a really interesting. um, That's a really interesting question, because I was working at a college. And there was a free dyslexia uh, test um, that the students would undergo. So basically what happened was I had the inkling that I'd been um, dyslexic for quite a while. Um, But this was prompted by my wife who noticed certain traits about me um, whilst I was actually getting a little bit stressed. So she turned around and said why don't you ask for a dyslexia test at the college so i actually went to the um, dyslexia um, unit uh, or the learning needs unit asked if they would be so kind as to do a dyslexia test on me and they said yep no trouble at all and the test consisted of a two and a half hour test in which Uh, the puzzles and questions and tasks would get more and more and more uh, in depth and harder and harder and harder. And it was um, and it was the aim of the tester to actually make me trip up. And at that point, they would diagnose then the level of severity within your or within the client. So. There were tests such as um they would flip open a look like a little a frame with a shape on it and then they would put three uh little tiles in front of you and you had to effectively reorganize the tiles but they were at 90 degrees to each other so the so the picture was at 90 degrees to the table and And that was just a test that I just could not. My brain couldn't handle it. Um, And it sounds really trivial to anybody who hasn't got dyslexia. And given enough time, that would have been an achievable task, but you had 30 seconds to do the task. So, and it became more and more complex as it went through. So you would have two tiles and a picture with two tiles, and then the time would decrease, And then it would go up to three tiles and four tiles and five tiles and six tiles. And they would just be random. And the tiles would look like each other as well. So you had to work out in your brain at a completely different angle to what you were looking at, what the picture would be when you put it all together. So the closest I could describe would be a jigsaw puzzle, but in a different plane of viewing. And you've got all these random pieces that look like each other and you've got to work it out. And that was a really really hard uh task another one was um because everybody's dyslexia is also different which is what i've become to realize what happened was there was one task where um the the tester would actually say a a number of words and they weren't english words they were just made up words but they sounded foreign and you would have to replay them or, or re-say them back. And what actually happened was, when I hear words like that, or I, I don't know, let's let's um, take a word, I'll make one up, a strugglet. Sounds a bit like strudel. Yeah, sounds a bit like struggle, but it's a made up word. And what would happen is within that group of words, I would repeat them back, but I would miss the endings of the words off repeatedly. So my brain isn't very good at handling foreign languages because they're they they they're just a jumble of sounds to me, and that's why I can't speak any foreign languages. So yeah, so it's it's a very strange condition, uh, and everybody's is slightly different. And some other dyslexics might be brilliant at languages, but that's one of the things I don't have.
0: So it's interesting that. They're using um, tiles with pictures or patterns on yeah. to diagnose a problem that you mostly associate with words mm. and
1: letters. Mm. Yeah, very interesting. And I think it's because of the way that the the brain processes things. And and that's also part of what people don't realise with dyslexia. It's how you process things. And so, for instance, and uh, one of the things that sparked the test in the first place was my wife would get increasingly annoyed at me in the car. So she would say, take a right. Somewhere that I hadn't driven before, she would say, take a right. And I would consistently turn left. In my head, I thought it was right. In my head, I heard her say right, but I have no internal compass. My lefts and rights get middle, uh, muddled up. Um, so this is one of the things that prompt her to also You know, say, I I think you've got, uh, you know, a psychological problem there in the nicest possible way that she could, of course. You know,
0: I see. That's really interesting. The It seems like a a binary thing. You've got two options, Mm. but your brain needs to stop and work out very quickly Mm. left and right. or Yeah. um, You know, you see commentators on the TV talking about people cutting in from the right into the left. Mm. Mm. And again, some people just can't quite process that. Yeah. they can see it but they can't visualize
1: it i suppose yeah yeah and it, it is that it's the it's the processing and the visualization of, of what actually needs to be done with those directions i guess um and, and and i'm learning more and more you know it's a 10-year journey that i'm in at the moment and i'm learning more about my condition every day um yeah and i don't have the the normal. Uh, Or what should I say? Normal. That's actually the wrong thing to say. Uh, Some dyslexics, when they look at a page, for instance, they'll have text ripple in front of them. I don't have that. What I found is that I am very poor at reading. um, Black text on a white background. Most dyslexics are. White text, sorry, black text on a white background on a computer screen, I have no problem with. That's yeah. a very strange one, and because I think from what I know of computing after being in it for so long is that that white isn't actually white it's a it's. A, you know RGB color RGB white color scale, so your brain isn't actually seeing white it's seeing a collection of shades of blue magenta green RGB yeah re- red green blue and yellow color. Um and that black isn't really black. It's another shade. So for some strange reason I seem to be okay with reading um text on a computer screen, but not on a page. Okay, interesting. Interesting. So
0: you 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 talked about working up to my mm. you've got a master's degree, you work at a PhD level.
1: Yeah.
0: Can you tell me some of your experience as a learner with dyslexia? Mm. Uh,
1: yeah. Um As a learner, I, I will make notes, but I will rarely read them. Um, But I know they're there to go back on. So um, what I've started to do, and I've taken some, you know, some courses for various, various things, either hobbies or or professions, and I'm now um, favoring recording and listening back. So when I have to read something and I've, I've just got an iPad as well, and, um, you know, I'm reading a few books on, on the the books um, icon, you know, the, the library icon and uh, found out the other day that basically you can uh, get it to read to you. So that's a fantastic thing. So as a learner, I am always trying to find the alternative way of consuming information. Um, uh, during the PhD, which obviously you're part way through, um, my PhD has rested for a little while and I will go back to it. Um, I've started to convert all of the books that I read now into audiobooks and so I can listen to them Um, and that's just, you know, for anybody listening to this, if you want to do that, feeding a book through um, audacity is a fabulous thing, you know, just set it off, let it record an MP3 um, if you've got screen reading software, of course, and then having it on an m p three player that you can carry around with you, brilliant. You can't make the notes in it, obviously, but and but you can read a book in in a day which would take me several weeks to read, you know fifteen chapters in a day. you can you can just consume it. So as a learner at at any level that I've gone to, um and this is something I've only recently started to do, you know in the last five years six years i'm i'm able to interact with text and interact with ideas as a learner easier because there isn't a barrier in the way of reading
0: yeah i think i recall when we worked in a busy faculty office together mm. you were you were taking pdfs yeah and reading them into mm. into software to play it back later i think yeah. you just let it you let it go you oh, went yeah. off and did something else yeah i did yeah. So that was yeah. quite
1: interesting. Yeah. And and these are the I think when you in one way, having a diagnosis of dyslexia is great. In another way, what it will do is will completely handicap some people. And, you know, it's, it's the mindset that you you come to dyslexia with. That's what I've found. So I don't see it as a as a dys, uh, as a uh, disability. I see it as something that I have tools based upon technology, I have intelligence based upon who I am, and I have a will to get around things that it won't let me, that it won't actually beat me. I will always try to to get around something. That's just, as an engineer, as a formal engineer, that's who I am. Um, some people will come to dyslexia and they'll go, okay, I've got dyslexia it means that i can't read stuff i can't do this i can't do that um and i think it's the makeup of the person that when you come to it that's that's very important
0: so we've talked a little bit about your experience as a learner tell me mm. about your experience as a teacher
1: or a lecturer yeah um so as a as a lecturer i try to always put myself in the learner's shoes it's never an easy thing to do because everybody's dyslexia is different and every learner is different but um also i suppose the time demands on teaching now the you know the 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 things you have to do outside of your subject seem to swallow up what little time you have for trying to develop interactive and excellent lessons and I think one of the reasons why I actually left teaching was those pressures. Um, You know, I mean, I've I've not, you know, I've not got an axe to to grind against teaching at all. You know, it's been, it's been very good and, and I've gone forward and I'm now in the private sector teaching myself, you know. Um, But it's, it's interesting, the experience of being a teacher in the two sectors. So I think, so I think I can best answer your question with that, with that demonstration. So in the, um, in the college sector or the university sector, there's a, a chunk of time that you go in and you do your work. And if, if we think of a pie, then I'm really only getting a small slice of the pie in terms of time to actually make an interactive lesson something that firstly, I've got to put concepts and materials together And secondly, I have to think about how all those different people in my class, all those different learners, or whatever we want to call them these days, are going to try to interact with my lesson. So, what I have to end up doing is you have to end up, or I, from my personal experience, you end up going to the lowest common denominator because no child should be left behind. Which, when you start to do things like have interactive lessons where you want to have different formats. So maybe somebody is good at reading or maybe someone just can't read because of dyslexia. Um, You want to do different formats like, you know, MP3s or, um, you know, color coded um, content and stretching and all these different embedded methods that we, we get taught as we go through in our professional lives the reality is that you can't do that and that's one of the biggest pressures on teachers these days so you end up doing it over a number of years and you might be lucky if the syllabus doesn't change because then you have to record something new so in which case then I always felt as if I wanted to have a student engage with it and have responsibility for their own learning so I would then use things like links and, um, you know, audio books that people could go and visit. You know, the the quick and and easy method. You know, if I can't record it myself, I'll have an audio book somewhere that that will. But with that method, of course, you are trusting that the whole audio book will be applicable. And it probably won't be. But at least that person who's got dyslexia might get something out of it switching over to the public sector or the private sector should i say you have an amazing amount of time to sit there and think what will my course be what will it achieve what different formats do i want to put in because you don't have to release that course until you're ready of course in the private sector you're also dependent upon filling courses you know so there's a pressure there's a different pressure but it's but you end up with a larger slice of the pie in your time the other stuff has to be things like your social media marketing and, and other stuff like that but um you know i think that the private sector does have the edge when it comes to actually giving you time to to have engaging platforms and engaging methods to um to educate people And of course, with with private, um, with private courses, you can rely up a lot more on on discussion because you haven't got to tick off all of the things that an exam board wants you to achieve. Um, You often set your own syllabuses and you often set your own outcomes. So you're not trying to cram things in. So those are my two experiences of, of teaching people, because, you know, I would like to say that being in the in the college or the public sector um, was a wonderful experience and that, you know, we always give our best, we always try to, but you have so much demanding your time that you end up not fulfilling what you want to fill. In the private sector, there are different demands, but you end up being able to, to fulfill what you want to fulfill. Um, different formats, um, different handouts, different subject matter discussion. Uh, So I I use a lot of discussion within my teaching now, which also extends the person in their own way of being able to learn.
0: So it sounds like. Being diagnosed with dyslexia for you. Maybe kick started a whole new approach to teaching and learning. It's, It's exposed you to new tools and methods. For doing everything, so although it it may have seemed like okay, I've got this problem. Mm. Uh, how do I deal with it? You've actually just ploughed through it and found mechanisms and tools that have actually enhanced the the way you've moved through your career.
1: Yeah, I would say so. I think you know, as I said earlier, it's it's the mindset that you bring to a condition, um, and it's it's really interesting. The the language that's used around it and you know this isn't to pick you up on what you've just said, because I would never do that to people, but um, since as we're talking about dyslexia. um, you know some people will say oh well you know your disability well it's not disability, some people will say a problem it's not a problem, because I don't see it as a problem, I see it as something that is part of who I am and what makes me tick. So. Would I have been as good a software engineer or engineer if I hadn't got dyslexia? No, I don't think I would be because that thing that makes me tick makes me look at the world in a particular way, which is a very engineering way. You know, I'm using high amounts of my left brain to actually tackle the world in in terms of logic trouble is i'm also left-handed so what actually happens is the logical brain on the left-hand side i know that we yeah in neuroscience we actually use lots of parts of our brain but the most dominant one for things like logic is your left brain you know that that fires when you're trying to work things out there's a wonderful book if uh, you'll read if your um listeners want to explore it called um the master the master and his emissary by Ian McGilchrist, and he's a neuroscience. Um, well, he's a doctor of neuroscience, and um, he talks about how learning and left brain and well, left hemisphere and right hemisphere work. So, the the, the basic premise is that our left brain, uh, the the right hemisphere of your of your brain, what it does is it takes in the whole of the world. It takes Everything, key. okay, much more than the left hemisphere can. So, but it can't organize. So, if you were able to anesthetize the left brain, the left hemisphere, nothing would make sense. So, for instance, you would comprehend somebody, but their head might be where their feet are. Their torso might be displaced. Their, um, you know, their lips might be off their head. All these different things. And then what happens is that right hemisphere shoves it along to the left hemisphere, which says, Ah, I know certain rules for working this world out. So I know what a human looks like. I think you've given me a human being. So I will work that out and I will shove it back along to the right brain so it can comprehend and it can take it in an holistic way. The problem is. That my left hand and my right hemisphere and my left brain, my left hemisphere, more of the work is done in the right hemisphere for me as a dyslexic. So my right hemisphere is amazingly active because it's having to work my left side of my body and it's having to work the world out and and the left brain doesn't obey the rules of the world very well because it's got dyslexia so the right hand side of the brain has to do amazing amounts of work so as a dyslexic I also find that I'm more creative so because my right side of my brain the right hemisphere is working harder so I will always go with things like well you know how can we actually put in creativity to the lessons Instead of just making this a dry lesson, what tools do I have? What, you know, I mean, quite an old technique now, but snowballing or jigsawing, you know, let's make sure that we can put things together. Um, And how does that form a bigger picture? And can we use art or can we use poetry or can we use, um, you know, sculpture in some kind of way? So in a way that being diagnosed with dyslexia, allowed me to have that freedom and to use those tools and even in computing you can do it you know you can say like hey what we'll do is we'll do a a collage of terms and you know we'll build trees and we'll build poems and we'll build um, you know washboards and things like that you know all these different things that would nest would really be out of the sciences and more in the humanities area you know, kind of the arts and humanities. Uh but I as a as a dyslexic, I managed to pull those in and was and, and explore that all the time within what I do. And it's a fascinating thing when you ask people to be creative like that. Because they get so much more out of it. Even non-dyslexics, you know. Okay.
0: What what common mistakes do you think people make when they're teaching or supporting dyslexic learners?
1: Um thinking that they see the world how they do, you know i I heard a very interesting uh, fact the other day. Now this might just be uh hearsay, but I don't know. Um, but I thought, wow, what an interesting fact if it isn't. in ancient Greece, the Greek, the Greeks couldn't see the color blue. they couldn't see blue because they had no word for it. So in uh, Homer's Odyssey, I think it is, um, the sea is described as a deep wine color because they have the color red or purple, but there was no color blue. Now that's a fascinating thought, even if it's not true. You know, let's just, you know, and I've heard similar with, with different cultures around the world as well. Um, there are certain colors that come online. So for instance, we see greens because nature is green We see black because of the night. We see various colors, but it's only when somebody comes up and says that color to that tribe that they start to see them. And when people start to teach people with dyslexia, they say they assume the world is like it is for them. Now, going back to what what we were saying about uh, having a, a small slice of the pie in education. I can see why people do that, because very early on in my career, I was like that. I didn't know about dyslexia. I, did, I thought it was just the way that I was. And, and I thought people saw the world how I saw it. Um, but, you know, if I said to you, um, if you give me three books to read, I will only be able to complete a quarter of it in the time that you're expecting. Well, you would turn around and say, but it's only a short book. No, it's only a short book. Why, you know, that's not, it's not beyond reasonability to ask you to do that. But of course it is mm-hmm. because, because what happens with dyslexia, especially in my dyslexia is you can start off maybe three pages in, you start to slow down and you get slower and slower and slower. And the brain just stops after a while. So even if I was to read the book, I wouldn't be able to tell you what it was, wouldn't be able to tell you much more than the first three or four pages. And it it physically hurts. The brain starts to hurt for me. Different people listening to this with dyslexia will have different experiences, obviously. Um, You know, even to the point where, you know, they might not even be able to pick a book up. They might have a phobia about a book or a phobia about a resource that is on the screen because reading is one of those things that know we still have that cultural um, memory of if you can't read you're stupid you know and that that is that's a terrible thing to to label anybody with when they go through life you know it's just that give me something give me a piece of paper and and a pen and ask me to draw a face i'll knock i'll knock anybody into next sunday You know ask me to write a poem I can do it ask me to read a book I can't do that so that's why I listen to books so at least I get a gist of of what you know of what it's about
0: so it sounds like the the educator the teacher who's offering support really needs to figure out what works Mm. for the learner and it's going to be different from one learner to the next Yeah. So what what skills or knowledge would you suggest teachers need to support dyslexic learners?
1: I think I think empathy is the biggest one. If you haven't got empathy and I know that many people go into teaching uh, and we're not talking about the career teachers here, we're talking about people who don't, for instance, go and, you know, um, take promotions because they want to be in the classroom, you know, or even teachers who dropped TA um because you know they want to support the learner um so many people do have empathy but what they also do is they get they get um they get whipped up in the frenzy of having no time so i think one of the biggest things is to remember why you go into teaching in the first place you know it's to help that help that student And to try to manage that time better, even if it means that you're cutting back on something, you know, Um, that's. That is a utopian view because of the pressures, but at least if you can master empathy where somebody isn't assuming that a student is seeing the world like they are. I think another skill that I would say is that look to the other disciplines. So if you're in the science and technology disciplines, go and actively seek out how people are doing it within the arts. And if you're in the arts, go and see how people are doing it in science and technology because you can bet that somewhere along that road will be a skill that could really benefit your tool bag. And the third one I would say is that it's about having a tool bag. You can't just rely upon things that, that work um, anymore because at some point they're going to fail. You know, you push a cohort hard enough with enough dyslexics in it or, you know, any any need for that case, but we're talking about dyslexia today, and your tried and trusted method Will fail and then what do you do so if you've got backup methods that are not like the ones that you're trying because we often go if that fails i'll do something else but it it's really just just the same as this but in a different dress then that's going to fail as well so have something that's quite um touchy-feely have something that's um you know get people to write a poetry write poetry instead and maybe look for what you want in the poetry Um, which is a creative endeavour, get them to draw something, you know, and, you know, how to express something. Um, I think opening up, um, it's always a dual-edged sword opening up um, assignments, for instance, to go deliver it how you want, because you'll get 25 different versions of, of what you're trying to look for some people will draw it, some people will do poetry, some people will do this, that and the other. So, you know, and how can you actually compare a, a poem to an essay? How can you do that for grading when you've got to go through a tick box of trying to, for instance, you know, we've both dealt with syllabuses where they have to hit certain things on the syllabus. Mm-hmm. Trying to get that out of a poem when they haven't identified it, how do you do that? You know, so, you know, so then you start saying, "Well, okay, write a poem, but then tell me how you've tell me how you've hit those things in an essay. Well, you might as well just have written an essay. You know that's more work for the learner. Mm-hmm. So the other tool that I would say is develop a develop a method for having a spread of tools, but knowing where you can get evidence out of if you're in an evidence-based discipline like computing or science or medicine, you know, those are ones that come to mind because, you know, they are things that you have to get evidence out of.
0: Okay, Jay, Mm. this is very, very interesting, really intriguing. I mean, I've taught for 25 years, I've taught dyslexic learners Mm. and everything you're saying to me now is is, it's just eye opening. It's so interesting. (laughs) Because we we talked about the time constraints and how we yeah. we just get on with it. And mm. uh, we're conscious that there are different learners with different skills and abilities and levels of intelligence, what have you, in the classroom. And it com- becomes like a, a sausage factory. Mm. You have know, these pupils, they come in and then they pass through your system. Magic happens in the middle mm. and then they finish with some sort of results. But actually, I think personally now going back to teaching. Going back into the classroom, knowing I've got dyslexic learners, I'm mm. just gonna be so much more conscious of what you're saying there about the empathy side, mm. and trying to think, okay, I can enlarge the text, I can change the color of the paper. That they're the basics as the teacher that you're taught a few other tech techniques on computer screen, but you know, listening to what you've said today is it, it really has opened my eyes. Um, Finally, have you anything else you'd like to add on this topic?
1: Yeah, I think I think it's interesting that you you've you've raised two points there, and well, one point and one point that you haven't raised, but I'm I'm going to raise with you. Okay, so it's interesting that you say about people come in and then you know the magic happens, but it, but it's basically a sausage uh, factory. You know, cheer them out at the end of the day. Uh, really that's what education has become Uh, again i don't have an axe to grind with education um you know it's been very good to me and it's you know allowing me to do amazing things and uh, i look at the world a certain way um but it's interesting that when you have a learner as you say you can increase the text You can make the page easier to read. So, for instance, my color um, of of an overlay or a printer page is like a peachy orange. That's what settles my. This is one of the things that they diagnose you when you go for a basic test as well. And you're given an overlay or to put on your screen and you go, okay, well, that's made the screen softer to read now. So it's not as harsh. The words don't jump out at me or whatever. Um, But of course, if you're. If you're um, increasing the text and you've got, you know, a different color screen or with a cohort of people, if you've got an orangey background and somebody still finds it hard to read on an orangey background. You know, I'm talking about the screen you know, and you, you're up there doing a presentation, you're going to lose 90 percent of that, those dyslexics. They're going to tune out. And then what happens is it is harder to reach them. Because they've tuned out and they've missed information that your next point is built upon in the lecture so they end up then disrupting the class you know we're talking about state schools or we're talking about you know colleges you know where anybody can go to these institutions you know and obviously state schools but everybody does uh you know apart from private educated students that is so you end up then increasing your classroom management unnecessarily because you as a non-dyslexic teacher have been given certain tools by a system that says this works unfortunately the people who are writing that system and giving you those points are non-dyslexic in a large majority so it's like the blind leading the blind and then we all turn up to a class and we all go okay this will work with my dyslexic students and then there's an unruly unruly mob at the back that have been lost and it's just a compounded vicious circle now the other thing that strikes me is that you know that you you know this podcast and and your business is aimed towards uh, gifted children if you dig hard enough they'll have a learning disability somewhere because that's they're gifted you know And it's about how do you then one to one working isn't really as hard because you can sit down, you can work out what works. But if you're teaching a class of gifted children or you have four or five gifted children in it, you have the same problem as people who are left behind in the class because they're going to get bored. You know, if they're dyslexic, they're going to get bored and be lost. So, you know, that that's what the the points I would like to just finish on there. It's, you can't be told how to teach dyslexics if you're non-dyslexic. By people who themselves are non-dyslexic, you can give new tools and theories based upon what they think. Because, yeah, you know, and, why, and why would they? Why would they know what it's like to be a dyslexic? They wouldn't. Now, unless that person has also done lots of trials, you know, that's a valid. That's a valid theory, you know, but if somebody just says, you know, this is my educational theory of how to teach dyslexics and I'm not dyslexia. I'm not dyslexic. And this is just what I think about from from neuroscience. You know. Well. Really go and sit in a class full of dyslexics and try those out and, you know, and practice it and then walk away and then evaluate. So it really
0: it boils down to. Really getting on the level with yeah. the learner. Yeah. And, and that close one to one dialogue, mm. because each case is so different and figuring yeah. out what works with yeah. what works on one day work. All the time or would it be probably different approaches for different scenarios and things you're learning i suppose
1: i think it goes back to the tool bag mm. you know if you've got two or three different methods for instance if i turn up to a class and i've had little sleep then i'm even the things that work with me as a dyslexic won't work so what am i going to do well i'll probably just want to sit there and listen to something whereas what i would do if i was not tired is I would probably engage with material that's in a different format or attempt to write something as a, as a poem or create something that's, you know, drawing or something like that. You know, And so it's it's being constantly aware of those students in your class. And, and this is different from differentiation. You know, we're not talking about differentiating here. We're talking about what works with a particular learner. On a particular day that might not work with that learner on another day you know mm. so i think differentiation you can have all the differentiation you want but it's, it's more like a, a scattergun approach you know i'll hand this out to all these different cohorts because i know that's an intelligent student i know that's a middle student and i know that that's a a, a poor student in terms of an in intellect you know um but of course with dyslexia doesn't work that way you can you can go up and down within how you feel and how your brain is working on a particular day and this goes back to what i was saying about being the demand of time in a class you know and it's hard well
0: Jay, thank you so much for talking to me about this today i'm sure this is something that i People, I hope people will listen to this. Mm. And if they want more information, or would like to talk to you, or get in touch with you, Jay, and um, you know, pick your brains, as it were, your your novel brain. um, (laughs) How would people go about doing that?
1: So, so sorry, yes. um, So it's best to get me on um, my email address, which is Jay. That's J A Y. J A Y Livingstone L T D. So that's J Livingstone Limited at Yahoo.com. Excellent. Jay, thank you so
0: much for your time. You're Uh, welcome, Carl. It's been fantastic talking to you. And uh I look forward to catching up with you again sometime in the future. Thank you very much.
1: I look forward to that too. Thank you, Carl.